Welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our 50th episode, it's the return of Rosie Fletcher. Along the way, we'll discuss how the power of friendship can defeat anything except for moths, ideal roles for Henry Cavill, and I have one of my viewpoints challenged so hard, I'm surprised I didn't burst into flames. We'll finish the show with a signature cocktail and let you know how you can become a guest on The Math of You. Editor's note, at the very beginning of this episode, Rosie says she is the first woman to return to The Math of You, and technically, chronologically, she is correct, although Angela's episode did air first, so this is some real Narnia magician's nephew kind of stuff. I'll let you all decide whether you want to go publication order or chronological order. We join this conversation already in progress. who may not know you, why don't you say who you are and what makes you a beautiful and unique snowflake? Well, I am the first woman ever to return to the Math of You. Oh no, Margaret's been on it twice. Uh, ah, Margaret was back as a host. She was not back as a guest. Technicality. I am the second woman ever to be a returning guest on the Math of You podcast. I am Rosie Fletcher. I am a... Well, it's fairly weird because I'll plenty forthcoming, but then when asked to describe myself, I act like I've never met me. You know, like when there's games where you have to like introduce the person you've just met at some kind of conference, I act like I've just been introduced to myself. So I'm Rosie. I'm from London. I am a writer and broadcaster. I have purple hair again, which is... It's kind of writer, broadcaster, and hair model because yeah. okay. you keep having new hair. I do I like was professionally. Just, well, this one is semi-professional, but the blonde sort of futuristic bowl cut I had last month was. Is there a worse way you could have described? That? Yeah, it, <laughs> futuristic I, bowl cut. Uh, yes, when I got it, I described myself as a sexy robot urchin. <laughs> or and then the hairdresser sent me the photo that they used because she was entering a hair competition and they'd had to take like a fancy picture. And beforehand, my mum had said oh, so you'll have a headshot. It was not a headshot. It wasn't like the thing you'd put in the back of a book I'd written because it looked like the picture I would use if I were a robot sex worker in like Blade Runner. <laughs> but right now my hair is slightly more normal because it was... See, now I'm just, I'm just thinking of slogans for robot sex workers. Like, oh, no. <laughs> excellent connectivity, minimal <laughs> feedback. I'll turn you on and off. No, that would be terrible. And that would probably be the kind of robot sex worker I would be. I'd be like, I turn you on and off. I'm not very good at this. And then just before the video loops, you go, no way. And it cuts off. <laughs> yeah. So you were saying. I don't know how. Uh, yeah, this, I try and introduce myself and end up discussing my sort of. Anyway, um, but I now have, have purple hair again, which is kind of, I feel, my natural color. I've just done a series of, I'm doing a series on Radio 4 at the moment on their film program, and we've made some little videos to go on Twitter, and I haven't had the same haircut in any of them 
because <laughs> I keep getting my hair done and then in one of them I was wearing a lot of wigs because we were talking about makeovers. <laughs> so I feel like it's meant to be this series, but it looks like I'm trying to do a really bad job of hiding my identity. I'm just thinking of it being like, you know, shot, reverse shot, but every time the shot comes back to you, you have a different haircut. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like they're doing the Superman reshoots for Justice League. With the and mustache. And he's got a mustache. <laughs> They should so keep it. Although, I don't know. I think of all of the DC superheroes. I don't think Superman is... I think Batman would have a moustache. Yeah, and have you read Invincible? It's an image superhero series? I have not. Okay, well, the premise of Invincible is that he's a teenager and he gets superpowers and his dad is the equivalent of Superman. Okay. And he gets his powers for the first time and things develop. But basically his dad is Superman. If Superman had a slight widow's peak and the most dad mustache <laughs> Amazing. that you have ever seen. Literally someone pitched it as, what if Superman was your dad? Like the kind of mustache that you just imagine to be waiting for a barbecue to heat up. <laughs> or potentially like giving you advice about superannuation or retirement funds. <laughs> I went to the theater last week and J.K. Simmons was sitting behind us, <gasps> which was very exciting. That's very exciting. I know, but he didn't have a mustache. And the mo- like, he's played, obviously, J. Jonah Jameson, but then he also Commissioner Gordon usually has a mustache. And I was like, what's going on? <laughs> Why doesn't he have a tash? That's the whole point of him. It's not. He's a very talented actor. If he doesn't have the mustache, he's cosplaying as Dr. Skoda from Law & Order, which was the role that I originally knew him in, which is that he was very calm and polite and gentle with everyone because he's often dealing with kids who have been left behind at murder scenes or something like that. And so he was an incredibly gentle man. And they're like, oh yeah, Dr. Scott is going to be playing J. Jonah Jameson. You turn it on and he's screaming about pictures of Spider-Man. Have you heard the Thrilling Adventure Hour musical show where he guested? I've never had any Thrilling Adventure Hour. Oh, well, that's something you should remedy, for one. It's exceptional. But also they had a, like a musical episode and they often bring in very famous guest stars. And they brought in J.K. Simmons and they were like, hey, we've got this eight or nine beats sustain in here. Are you okay with that? And J.K. Simmons says, I'll give it a try. And he held it for something like 17 seconds. (laughs) And poor Mark Evan Jackson is on the stage next to him. He's like, you just just don't know what to do. He's putting dents in the back wall with his voice. And you're just kind of standing there. (laughs) There's a radio show from Radio 4 about 15 years ago now. And it was called the 99P Challenge. And it was a very silly kind of improv game show. And they have completely new rounds each episode. The cast is amazing. It was hosted by Sue Perkins. And it has people like Armando Iannucci, Nick Frost, Simon Pegg, all of these people in like slightly pre-fame on the cusp of things. But one of the things they do once is the Bill Withers gauntlet, which is where they start playing Lovely Day. And they'll have to join in on the bit where he goes, A lovely day! And they just hold it and they have a competition to see who can hold the note the longest. Excellent. I don't know why. That seems like a very Sue Perkins thing to, to run. Oh, yeah. It's a really excellent show. that There's a radio station called, well, it used to be called BBC Seven, Radio Seven, but now they call it Four Extra. How, how many BBCs are there? Well, there are now... What the hell? There, so this is, on television, there's one, two, and four, because they did mm-hmm. have three, but BBC Three is now online only because it's for the youth. And then the radio is Radio 1, 2, 3, 4, 4 Extra, 5 Live, and 6 Music. And the Asian Network. Coming up soon, BBC 8, The Ocho. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, BBC 4 Extra used to be BBC 7. But they do, it's mainly repeats of anything from like Round the Horn in the 60s to then things that have been on in the last week. But whatever they're doing... Four- sort of- coming up next, 14 episodes of Porridge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
they repeat it like every six hours across the day so I once listened to it when I was off school or sick and I was like this is great and then it comes around again and then a bit later it'll comes around again it's like repeats within repeats within repeats recursive programming yeah pretty much in Australia, they have the free-to-air channels. There have always been five. There's ABC, SBS, 7, 9, and 10 are the five channels that literally everyone in the country can get. Pay TV has not had the foothold that it has in the States. So only a relatively small amount of people have Foxtel, which is the cable subscription service, where you get you know a million channels. Most people just watch those five. And when they went to HD, they decided to diversify their portfolio. And so you got ABC1, ABC2, SBS, and then there's SBS, one of the international ones where you get you know news from around the world. And then... It kind of went to, like it was nine, and then there was nine HD, and then there was seven, and my favorite change was the older stuff, like the reruns of Hey Dad and Dad's Army and other shows that involve dads, I'm sure, was on a channel called Seven Mate, and it's just written as the number seven M-A-T-E, and I'm like, that is Maybe. the most cultural cringy thing I have seen in yeah. 14 years of Australia. I'm not saying, oh, did you watch that movie on Seven Mate last night? It's like, no. I mean, we have a TV channel called Dave. <laughs> So it used to be that we had five terrestrial channels and then they switched off terrestrial TV in the UK and now everything is on what we call Freeview, which is digital stuff, but you get, I think it's like 30 or 40 channels and one of them is called Dave and it launched maybe a decade ago and it was all like, I mean, they'd now do a couple of original things, but it's basically all reruns of BBC sitcoms and panel (laughs) shows and it's like clearly aimed at like the, I'm going to say the 18 to 35 male bracket but the best thing is is that like most channels have a plus one now so you can catch up but the dave one is called dave javu <laughs> all right i will forgive it for being named dave purely yeah for it's called dave, dave <laughs> i know it's like oh dave is a terrible no this is great i feel like you've been playing the long game on this dave <laughs> see i just pictured it it's like you turn it on and it's just dave coulier staring at you uh, who's Dave Coulier? <laughs> oh, you mean Uncle Joey from Full House? Oh, I don't... Oh, no. I'm really oh, no. sorry. <laughs> Catherine Van Arendonk is going to be so mad. All I know about Full House is that the Olsen twins were on it, mm-hmm. and it's now on Netflix. They made the revival of Fuller House, and I have no interest whatsoever in watching it. Oh, no. I haven't watched it, and I've been told it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Also, wasn't... What's his name on it? This is such a great reference, Rosie. What's his name? Somebody was on it as like a cool hip uncle and he's a real actor now. <laughs> this <sighs> Rosencrantz, are you trying to think of John Stamos? Yes, John Stamos <laughs> <laughs> Yes, he was in fact on it. He was Uncle Jesse with the Elvis obsession. That's the one. And the amazing blow wave pompadour. Yeah, I could picture the hair. <laughs> he had a catchphrase that was have mercy. What? <laughs> Like, he would literally put on an Elvis voice and go, have mercy. Oh, that is so weird. Mm-hmm. Who thought that was a good idea? Clearly him. Oh, yeah. And at one point, Elvis Presley. <laughs> but the thing is, having a catchphrase that has mercy makes it sound like he's a contract killer. <laughs> uh, or he's often being targeted by contract killers. Or people who are trying to rough him up. It was often said in times of duress or times of being overwhelmed or occasionally times of like sexy times. Oh my God. Like he would get kissed by his wife played by Laurie Laughlin and he would go, Phew, have mercy. And it's like, yeah. If a gentleman said that yeah. to me, I would leave. <laughs> if I kissed him and he did his catchphrase, I'd be like, it was a delight to meet you. Never speak to me or of me again. I have to go. Yeah. <laughs> wow. John Stamos. He's a man whose name I can remember on occasion. 
I cannot believe that of all the gaps in your cultural knowledge, Full House is where that dart hit directly in the bullseye. Well, I think it's partially the fact that it never really came over here. And I'm also going to claim it's because I'm a beautiful, youthful child. <laughs> I don't think I can really keep using it as an excuse because I'm going to be 28 in October. So. Oh, stop. Why do I describe that as being like a child? I'm going to be... I'm 27 and three quarters. That's how children speak in my mind. Yeah, oh. we, I don't think Full House really got... Maybe it did on Sky... But we didn't have Sky when I grew up. We just had the five terrestrial channels. One, two, three, four, five. Which they numbered correctly, but were owned by different people. I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with how different countries do their, like, their basic TV stuff in the same way that I am with supermarkets when I go abroad. Oh, yes. When I went to America two years ago, I was like, kind of what I want to do is go to a supermarket. Because I just love like the things that are so normal. That then when you go to a different country, like, I can't believe they do this. Or even just the way you have different brands of peanut butter. I'd be like, we don't have this here. We all have peanut butter, but yours is different. <laughs> oh, speaking of peanut butter, Kraft peanut butter, which is ubiquitous around the world, here in Australia has decided to rebrand itself in that they've got, you know, the healthier option and, you know, it's the reduced salt or reduced fat or whatever. But the full strength one, the uncut peanut butter, they've decided to give the incredibly unfortunate name of the good nut. And I, maybe I've been listening to too much My Brother, My Brother and Me because I cannot help but read it in that Griffin McElroy voice of saying it's, oh, it's... It's that good nut. It's, it's the good nut. <laughs> that is not a good name for peanut butter. It's a really bad name. Because <laughs> the last thing you want to think before spreading something on your toast is that, yeah, it's that good nut. <laughs> mm. But yes, I, I am also the kind of person who, like when I was in the States, uh, most recently in New York, I was wandering around New York and I just managed to pick out, I'm like, ooh, there's a Kmart nearby. I can see what a Kmart is like in the United States. Yes, yeah, I would be fascinated by that. And like when we were in, my sister and I were in New York and we got to go to a bodega and like we have corner shops and mini marts, but they're not bodegas. And it's like these weird things, they're kind of fulfilling the same function, but are different. Also, a whole thing went around Twitter only last week about how people in America don't have egg cups or kettles. Like, and no one in the UK can understand how people don't own kettles. People are claiming that they microwave water. I remember that when I was a kid uh, in Canada, my mother would use a pot to boil water for tea. And then I remember thinking it was the weirdest thing that we moved to a house that had a kettle that whistled. And I thought it was the strangest thing. And I was maybe 10 at that point, and I had not seen one. Yeah, see, electric kettles are the most basic. When you're a student and you move out and you go to university, you can buy a kettle for like £8. And everyone, I think it was in Bill Bryson, he said that if not owning a car in the US is only one step from like, you might as well not have anything. Like, I think owning a kettle is like the one thing you would cling on to. But like, what? Just electric kettles. (laughs) I just can't. I mean, I know that Brits and their tea, obviously, we have a cultural obsession with it, but surely Americans are drinking hot beverages. Yes, but most of the time it's percolator coffee, and so that comes with its own jug, so you don't need a... But you boil kettle. the hot water in the kettle and then pour it into the cafetiere. <laughs> no, they have a thing where you, all you do is you plug it in and you turn it on, and it boils the water for you. Space age. Oh, it's an electric... Okay, it's electric coffee maker. Oh, I see. I'm picturing the wrong kind of coffee maker. You're picturing a better kind of coffee maker than (laughs) is is actually used in most places. Like, you want another cup of joe? Yeah, one of them. Where it's like, you know, when's the last time you changed out that jug? And they go, hmm, what day is it? And you go, it's Thursday. And you go, what month? (laughs) 
There are chains in both Canada and the United States that have to advertise how often they cycle out their coffee. Oh, that is so grim. Mind you, we have that with fish shops not changing their oil. Which is a travesty. I cannot believe that. Because the thing is, my father was a proponent of the deep fryer, which Mm -hmm. is not a fancy space age deep fryer that you see most of the time in people's homes who are into deep frying things. This was a little cast iron thing with a battered metal basket that he would lower in and he would save that oil like it was gold. Yeah. And by the end of it, it was something that looks like you could have scraped it off a car tire. But those chips (laughs) tasted fantastic because they were soaked in the oil of their departed brothers. Yeah, that's where all the flavor comes from. I once watched an episode of Man Vs. Food. Of course, I've watched many an episode of that, where he goes to have one of the heat challenges, where he only has to eat seven chicken wings, but they are hotter than the sun. And there was the guy who, we went to the kitchen, and they're like, well, the secret is, is that we always make it in the same tub, and we don't clean it out. It's basically getting stronger and stronger over time, because it's made from... But it was this really crusty looking, like, you know, those industrial (laughs) plastic catering tubs that had... Like, you know, like when you leave a ketchup bottle out and it gets the the kind of ketchup crust around the top? Oh, yes. It was that, except with molten chili and the <laughs> stuff where he was like, this doesn't add any flavor. It just adds the heat. It's the pure extract. So it, it's yeah, the screech of chili. That? Yeah. Sorry, I'll explain for listeners at home. See, listeners at home, in Canada, there is an island off of the East Coast named Newfoundland. And in Newfoundland, there is a sort of mythical beverage called screech, which people do, in fact, drink. But it's always purported to be a bit like Scumble from Terry Pratchett, where you can't put it (laughs) in a metal mug. And it's made from apples, well, mostly apples. The fumes will crinkle paint. What Screech actually is, is that when the sailors would have their rum barrels on the ship, they would, you know, have their rum ration every day. And what Screech was, is in the last leg of the journey, when all of the rum extracts had basically caked the inside of the barrel, and they would take, like, a, a cooper's knife and scrape the inside of the barrel and get this goo and then sort of squeeze that goo into juice, and that juice was Screech. That is conceivably one of the worst things I've ever heard, and I've watched a lot of Man vs. Food. I was about to say, and you've seen uh, an industrial chili barrel. Yeah, Uh, I discovered Man vs. Food during my finals at university, and it was a real bad coincidence (laughs) of time, because it was on one of those channels where they'd say, right, and coming up, eight episodes of Man vs. Food, and it was all new to me. My housemate would sit there, and my then boyfriend would then come over and like we just swap out who was watching it. In fact, my boyfriend at the time and I made a roast dinner and ate it in front of Man vs. Food because on the basis that you have to eat while you're watching because otherwise you get too hungry. And even though we had this enormous roast, we were still really hungry because we watched Man vs. Food, which was a shame. And see, you're doing it better than most because, hey, most of the time when you're watching you know, Food Network programming, you're eating bread straight from the bag or sitting over a plate of oven chips. So it's, it's, you know. Yeah, it was pretty good. The roast thing is something that I've come to late because the only roast dinner that I would have is I would be invited to a church parishioner's houses when my mother was a minister and get the pot roast that had been cooked for, let's say, a couple of hours, but then left in the oven, air quote, to keep warm, which promptly <laughs> dried every bit of moisture out of it. And it was like chewing shoe leather. My mom knew the face when I couldn't swallow it, that I would have been chewing on that same mouthful for a good five minutes. Because every time I would go to swallow it, it would hit the back of my throat and my eyes would water. And then my mouth would just go, nope, it's not happening. You should probably chew it some more. Wow. That is uh, disappointing because the beauty of long and slow meat cooking is so great. Mm -hmm. My favorite recipe is meat plus alcohol plus heat plus time. Which is? 
just you just to get any of oh, any just of those. in general okay yeah yeah meat alcohol heat time done it took me being accepted into a southern german family and in discovering the delight of a really good pork roast with crackling mm. to kind of break me of that hatred of roast meats yeah we were never really like a proper sunday roast family but mm. my sister's been vegetarian since she was 10 and she's been vegan since she was 18 we often just ate vegetarian around that so we were never really like meat at every meal then i think i rebelled against that by becoming like indentedly indentedly just really staunchly carnivore <laughs> i was gonna say because on your podcast which i'm not sure we mentioned at the beginning rosie and jessica's day of fun oh yeah i realized i forgot to do that i started talking about robotic sex workers instead <laughs> my one true love you speak quite openly about the joys of meat and i was listening on my headphones going don't don't say that jessica's vegetarian no she's when i say this she's a vegan i'm a meat eater and we balance out at a vegetarian which is fine for the planet i really like meat but it's I don't actually eat a whole bunch but no Jessica is very used to this fact that there was the opportunity for me to eat a rack of ribs I will do it um, <laughs> oh, I, I was reminiscing today with my housemate who has also been a guest on this podcast about the time I was poorly and my sister made me a proper fry up including eggs and bacon and she was a vegan at the time which is pretty good because some vegans like won't go near the stuff yeah the thing about the rack of ribs is like occasionally you'll see that like our ribs are priced at a lower price point on like a pub menu mm -hmm. and you think oh well i'm not that hungry i'll have that because it's a lower price so it won't be that big and then it arrives and you realize you've made a terrible mistake <laughs> yes and then also you have to eat ribs in front of people and often if you go out like they're sitting directly opposite you and mm -hmm. i have apologized to somebody as i've ordered because i knew that they would then have to sit eating their meal or trying to enjoy their meal as i tore apart bones <laughs> As you did murder to a rack of ribs. <laughs> yes. It's, it's like one of those David Attenborough documentaries. There's just a blur and then there's a dead gazelle. And then me with some barbecue sauce and a big napkin. Smeared back to your ear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have trouble with the ribs or chicken wings or anything where there's lots of sauce. Because I have, it's not a phobia. It's not anything. It's just I have an aversion to having sauce on my hands. I just cannot deal with it. So Like a little raccoon. Yeah, exactly. It's like I'm the person who is constantly like dabbing at their hands with a wet mat as they're eating. Uh, and especially that is compounded by the fact that I have a beard and I am just like petrified of having sauce in my beard and having no one tell me. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you have a high risk of Mr. Twit style food in the beard, <laughs> saving it for later. Kimiko and I went to the Annandale Hotel, which is a local pub nearby, and they do these fantastic kind of crazy burgers. And at one point they did one and there was so much sauce on it that because they, they were trying to do like a Big Mac style thing where there was a bit of bun in the middle between all the toppings. And I took a bite and the middle bit of bun squirted out like a fish that had been dropped <laughs> onto a onto a deck. And in doing so, just coated my hands with this like sort of Thousand Island mayonnaise sauce. And I turned to Kimiko and I held my hands out like I was in platoon and I had just killed a man. <laughs> and I looked at her and I'm like, I have to go. I, I have to go. And I just like... I, I walked through this pub holding out my hands like I had scrubbed for surgery and like elbowed my way into the bathroom and did a very thorough hand wash. And then it's like she was trying to talk to me and I'm just like, I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't even, <laughs> I just can't do it. But coming back to the vegetarian thing, my mother's a vegetarian and she took a very long roundabout way of doing it. You know how it's like you get someone, they just go, oh, I'm just not going to eat red meat for a while. And then it's, oh, you know, maybe I've gone off most meats except for chicken wings and bacon because they're too good. And 
and then it lasted about maybe a year, and then it was, oh no, I'm a vegetarian now. When I was uh, briefly staying at my mom's, I would, you know, bring home meat, and I would cook my own meals, because, you know, I need some form of protein that was not, you know, I, I just went to think of something, and I realized I can't. I'm like, the chickpea. No, mom came to the chickpea rather late. So they're going to say a turnip, but there's no protein in turnips. I don't think there's anything <laughs> in turnip. It's just solidified sadness. <laughs> it's just sitting there hating you i would be cooking like a steak or something and she would have to leave the room because she would and things i chose to believe in my young brashness that it was not because she could not stomach the fact that there was meat cooking in the room but that it taunted her with its delicious (laughs) smell and wanted to bring her back into the fold and so she was like like she was holding up a cross to a vampire would just be like i can't be here i need to leave (laughs) just holding up two carrots crossed indeed i feel and i know this is a free form episode but there is something i would like to bring up in fact i have been told i have to bring it up by my housemate and former guest lucy harrison yes lucas yes cardigans yeah i hate them yeah you could not be more wrong that is the (laughs) wrongest opinion you are usually a very right-minded correct thinking man but your (laughs) hatred of the cardigan is a whole bunch of malarkey like all right well allow me to explain yeah no i know your explanation and i'm going to refute it (laughs) <laughs> my explanation is I am a frequent wearer of the hoodie and I'm not talking about you know your average bought from Kmart hoodie I tend to buy rather nice ones because they fit better for example I'm currently wearing a hoodie from the brand industry which I have worn so often that the uh, cuffs are now frayed and there are bits falling off of it and I will often get like you know a knitted sort of hoodie or a, a wool one because I'll have to wear it to the office and you can't just wear like you know equivalent of a sweatshirt that has a zipper on it to the office. So here's the thing. In my previous offices that I've worked at, Casual Friday meant you could wear a t-shirt and jeans or whatever you wanted. In this particular office, it's a bit more corporate. And so they have very strict guidelines and like a PowerPoint with pictures that tells you what is appropriate and what's not. Wow. And they said that if you're going to wear a polo shirt, which is, you know, short sleeves and a collar and no buttons, you have to wear it with a cardigan because short sleeves are an abomination unto Nuggin. So I'm like, all right, well, I went to the Iconic, which is the equivalent of ASOS or whatever they, they have over there, and I ordered a cardigan. And it arrived, and I tried it on, and it fit, which is a rare thing because uh, I'm a little bit of a gentleman of carriage. I have a body which can be tastefully described as being shaped like a barrel with some legs attached. It's like I put this thing on, and it's like, okay, what if we took a hoodie and we removed the hood? And we removed the pockets and we removed any semblance of warmth and just left you with this shell of a thing, this useless thing that is only good for hiding your arms if you're wearing short sleeves. And it's like, you can't even do the thing of like hooking your hands into the like, you know, watch pocket like you would with like a vest. They're useless and I hate it. And proof, I put my newborn son hero into his first cardigan and he screamed. He screamed in a way that was answered in my soul. Well, I have many points to make, but firstly, the point that a one month year old child cried doing it, there is nothing on that there is nothing on God's green earth that sh- that should be allowed because one month old babies will cry at anything. You can put that child in front of Moonrise Kingdom, it's going to cry. And that's the perfect film. It is. Okay, what you have said here is that not that you don't like cardigans is that you don't like that cardigan. And most importantly, you do not like polo shirts is the problem because polo shirts, <laughs> uh, polo shirts I can just about manage because they're made of Airtex, they're an actual thing. But the short sleeve button down shirt or a formal shirt is the worst garment a gentleman can place <laughs> upon his person. Get a long sleeve shirt, roll them sleeves up. Same effect. You can 
get a breeze around your forearms, whatever it is you want to do, but you have firstly achieved the sexiest look known to humanity, and secondly, you don't look like an IT temp in the 1990s. <laughs> so so that's let's just draw it. And the polo shirt, too close. Too close to the wind on that one. So firstly, get a long sleeve shirt and roll the sleeves up. Secondly, get a thicker cardigan. Get a cardigan with pockets. You can't complain they've taken the hood off. You're not a monk or a mugger, so you don't need a hood. <laughs> you can get cardigans with pockets. You can get them in a real thick knit. May I use the word Aaron in this argument? I mean, you have shut down the greatest garment known to the world on the basis of one that you only purchased because you decided to wear a polo shirt. I mean, that is no sense at all. The defense rest. <laughs> It was pointed out to me on Twitter, Laura Koenig, I believe is her name, uh, two nickels on Twitter, who pointed out that the dress and cardigan look is the real purpose for the cardigan, and I cannot argue that. That is yeah, that mean, is objectively true. The problem is, is that all clothing looks better on ladies, but I also am low-key planning on starting a Kickstarter for my business, which is like Uber, except it's a handsome gentleman in a cardigan who will carry you around like a giant baby to wherever you need to go. <laughs> There are also a couple of other versions because I am a lady of poor, delicate health. I would like a handsome man in a cardigan to bring me soup, a nice man to fold laundry and tell me about his favorite female novelists. Um, There's somebody who (laughs) makes a thermos of tea, leaves it by your bedside, and as he's leaving, he discusses overlooked female scientists of history. But all of them will be wearing cardigans. I'm a woman with niche desires. I'm just picturing Chris Evans doing all these things for you. He would... (laughs) If we could get him, that would be maybe that could be one of the Kickstarter rewards for high investors. Chris Evans or Army Hammer. Yeah, totally. Oh yeah. I'm a real big fan of Army Hammers. Huh. The Winkle of I. Hmm. Winkle oh my. <laughs> we were speaking of Henry Cavill before and his Airsat's mustache. <laughs> the Man from Uncle is a real good movie. <laughs> Yeah, so I've not watched it. Lucy has. She's watched it twice. She has no idea what happens because she was too busy ogling Mr. Cavill. I wouldn't be able to help her because I'd be too busy ogling Mr. Hammer. Nothing would get done. I've enjoyed it quite a lot. Also because they let Henry Cavill be sleazy. And Henry Cavill does sleazy very oh, well. yeah. Like, I mean, look at his face. He's got a sleaze face. The whole thing is that, of course, coming back to the original Man from Uncle, uh, is that Army Hammer is a very, an incredibly efficient and good-at-his-job Soviet agent that does not smile or laugh until later in the film. And Henry Cavill is this kind of louche American spy who's kind of shitty and is really good at, at his job because he's very good at lying and schmoozing with people, but he does as little work as possible. Like, at one point, Army Hammer is being chased by gunmen in a boat, and Henry Cavill decides to, like, nip into someone's truck where he finds that guy's lunch and sits and kind of casually eats this lunch. As you see in the background, Army Hammer is having like a running gun battle on a boat. And he like turns up the radio and it's just like, yeah, this is nice. I'm going to eat grapes and some nice bread. And oh, hey, oh, oh, there's a bit of chutney. That's nice too. Uh, and it's, it's this fantastic scene. And I'm like, this is it. This is exactly what this movie should be. Yeah, that does sound ideal and beautifully tailored throughout, I imagine. Oh, yes, in that very 60s style. Mm, You know what the 60s was good for? Cardigans. (laughs) Michael Caine could wear the hell out of a cardigan in the 60s. Exactly. I mean, just picture my first, not my first and only, that's a lie on both fronts, but my ideal husband is Rory from Doctor Who. And, you know, him in a lovely cardigan. He wouldn't be very good at the picking me up and carrying me like a baby because he looks quite spindly. He's, He's very tall. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a dream boat. I'm sorry, I've gone into a reverie. When I'm Doctor Who showrunner, my first act is going to be to retcon the terrible exit episode the Pond's got, because that just makes no sense. Oh, it's so dumb. The episode previous to that is, oh, Amy and Rory don't always have adventures with the Doctor. He just checks in every so often. They've got a lovely life on Earth, hanging out with Arthur Weasley. And you're like, they're leaving next episode. I see how this is going. And then the next episode is like, oh no, they're trapped in 1940s New York. I'm like, what now? And the Statue of Liberty's evil. They get angeled and- And then they leap off a roof. Yeah, they leap off a roof. (laughs) giant statue of liberty angel and it's so dumb it is very bad on many levels and um, so yeah my first thing would be like oh because and then that matt smith is like it's really bad because i can't go into that time or place so firstly you could go before that time and wait or secondly have you heard of the new jersey turnpike just go to <laughs> new jersey and walk you can get the transit i've done it because we got off at the rock station and end up in new jersey and had to get into new york on the transit instead of the Amtrak. It's not ideal, but you can easily do it. And then you could be like, come along, Pons. Let's get out of this shit show of an episode. Back to Arthur Weasley. Nice <laughs> knowing you. I'm Peter Capaldi now. <laughs> and yes, Arthur Darville also went on to be Rip Hunter on Legends of Tomorrow and wear the hell out of a jacket. So just saying. <laughs> I watched the first episode and a half of that and then realized that even my love for Arthur Darville couldn't get me to keep watching Legends of Tomorrow. But then I was reading AV Club recaps, and I was like, maybe I could stop reading these. You know, I'm not watching this show. And then in one of, like, the stray thoughts at the bottom, it was like, Rip should take off his duster more often because Arthur Darville has a real cute bum. And I was like, just when I thought I was out, they dragged me back me. again. <laughs> oh, yeah, the thing is, the show's garbage, but it's fun Real. and episodic and, yeah... <laughs> Real garbage. And it gives me an excuse to explain what little lore I've picked up about the DC Universe from people like Chris Sims. <laughs> and yeah, also, they, they give Arthur Darville a beard. So, just mm. saying. And he got a really good haircut in season two. Mm-hmm. All swoopy in that. Yeah, my <laughs> ideal haircut. In fact, I did have that haircut earlier this year. What am I saying? <laughs> you did. I did. I didn't take a All picture right. of him into the hairdresser, but it just happened. The universe found a way. I love seeing the pictures that pe- people bring into the barber. It's always interesting to look at. And as a young man, I may have brought a picture of Johnny Depp from Once Upon a Time in Mexico. <laughs> When he had that sort of just past the chin length, like very greasy, straight hair. And the barber took one look at it and looked at my explosive mop of coarse screw curly brown hair. And he went, yeah, mate, it's not going to happen. I think that's fair. <laughs> Could you try? He's like, no. Like, I am paying you. When I went and got my hair cut two weeks ago, I took in many pictures of myself. <laughs> I think shows a real confidence. Yeah, I did do that once because normally I'll go to get my hair cut and then my partner will message me and go, how has it look? And I'll send a picture. And so, every, yeah, every six weeks or so, I have a picture of myself with a new haircut. And once I went into a new place and they're like, oh, how should we style your hair? And so I pulled out one of those photos and the look of disgust I got from the stylist <laughs> Then I had a picture of myself at a 45 degree angle so you could see how the hair was kind of at the side and how it kind of sat. The look of disgust I got made me never want to do it again. So maybe it's different in the UK. I don't know. I I mean, I usually have to go into hairdressers and be like, so I did quite a lot of this myself. There was the time that I had to go and say, you'll know the fringe isn't straight. I decided to do that myself with clippers halfway through the Strictly Come Dancing final when I'd had a sherry. Please sort that out. (laughs) And then I have to say, yes, I do cut my own hair. You will note I have to take my glasses off. There are two mirrors slightly apart from each other, but on opposite sides of my landing. So I usually stand with my glasses off, looking in one at the back of my head from one side, and then I turn around and do the other side as their faces slowly fall 
fall into a kind of mask of horror. And then they're like, okay. It's the William Burroughs method of haircutting. <laughs> I'm going to stand with a mirror. I'm going to take scissors and I'm going to gesture vaguely behind me. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> The worst thing was then when I had, because my hair was very dark brown normally, and then because I had the top of my hair was purple and I was doing an undercut, but then you could so clearly see the difference that I had to, and I was cutting myself and trying to get it straight so you couldn't see just how wonky it was. I did a fairly decent job, but I currently have a professional haircut, and some would say it is better. Also, I need to point out, <laughs> saying that you attempted to cut your own fringe halfway through the Strictly Come Dancing final. After you've had a sherry, may be the most Rosie Fletcher sentence I have ever heard. <laughs> yes. You are living your brand and your best life. You know what? I have a brand identity and I have really strongly committed to it in every aspect of my life. If only you had said that there was something baking in the oven and you had put aside your knitting at that time. Oh, I had probably been knitting while I was doing it. <laughs> not while I was cutting my hair when I was about 15 I had a teacher who we say did not care for me and he called me both pretentious and precocious so to spite him I destroyed all other parts of my personality and became only those <laughs> guess what it's gonna be that 24-7 now yeah pretty much <laughs> you know what I'm gonna do nothing but those things because I love you yeah, your <laughs> hatred sustains me is kind of secretly yes. at the core of my brand. <laughs> and that's why I'm not a Hufflepuff. You're not. I am, though. And just like that level of hatred makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Although it was very satisfying when I put up the, hey, everyone, guess what house I'm in poll, watching Margaret H. Willison swoop in in like the last hour of that poll and tell everyone who decided that I wasn't a Hufflepuff that they were wrong and stupid yeah. and had never met me. <laughs> Yes, because she really put me right both on what I thought you were and what I thought I was. <laughs> it was real tough. I did one of those for which person in Sex and the City I am, and it was wrong on all levels. I did that for, <laughs> for both my Hogwarts house and a Sex and the City person. So for those who don't follow your Twitter, what house are you in Hogwarts again? I'm a Ravenclaw, I think. Mm -hmm. And then I have heard... I think it came out that I was I can't even remember what I came out because it was quite evenly drawn I've been called all four other houses all, all mm. four houses in total there's not a fifth secret house or is there <laughs> I used to strongly identify as a Slytherin as a teenager and then as Margaret H. Willison pointed out you can talk about yourself a lot in any house that's true <laughs> so I was like oh no I, and a couple of years ago I was like I think I might actually be a Ravenclaw who was like an aspirant Slytherin <laughs> but then people have suggested Gryffindor and Hufflepuff I'm torn maybe I'm just like a Mary Sue who gets to be in all four houses because I'm so great and I've got like magic purple hair <laughs> <laughs> magic purple hair and rainbow robes yes <laughs> and special power that only you know about yeah and Snape's my dad <laughs> Oh, don't worry. I, I've been, as I said, I've been on the internet a long time. <laughs> All right, Rosie, I think we have time for maybe one more topic. So this is a question that I wanted to ask. You wanted to ask me about cardigans. Tell me about your relationship with Squirrel Girl. Oh, yeah, that's a great question. So Doreen, I like to call her. I used to work in the basement of a comic shop. Specifically the basement, not the rest of the building. Yes, because it's this great comic shop in London called Gosh Comics. They sell a lot of books to libraries, but they do all of the library processing in-house. So putting the jackets and the labeling and the barcodes in. And over the course of about three or four years, 
I was the person that did that occasionally. So I would go mm-hmm. in and I would label up books and you get paid per book. And after that amount of practice, you go very fast. It was an incredibly lucrative, if intermittent career. Mm-hmm. And that's how I first discovered Squirrel Girl, I think. And, but that's how we kind of got into comics in general. And it was really fun. And I used to have to sit in this basement and like just go through like that. So I knew a lot about comics entirely from the front and inside covers because that was mm-hmm. all I ever saw. And then I had heard a lot about this Squirrel Girl. And so I got the first two and was like the first two volumes because I refused to buy individual comics I think it's a scam and then I was like oh so I'll have to dress up as this girl with the power of a squirrel right so I have a squirrel tail in my wardrobe because I cosplay as her the first thing I did was I knitted tippy toes her squirrel companion and this first version well it's still the same version but I used 100% wool and I stuffed her with lentils and moths ate her moths ate my squirrel and laid their eggs in my squirrel and I was dusting and I'd picked her up by the head and not all of her came with it. <laughs> and she'd, she'd already done one Comic-Con and I just didn't know what... It, oh my God. And like these... It was like this weird dry, dusty... I guess it's maggot poop of like moth poop. And then, and then I I looked and I was th- there were lentils and there were fl- flames, flames on the side of my head. <laughs> and there were these little crawling things. Anyway, I re-sewed the squirrel. It was fine. It is now stuffed with mothballs to weigh it down instead of lentils. I mean, this isn't the main thing, but I'm still processing the horror. So that's why when you talk to me about my squirrel girl costume, I have to talk about the times moths ate my squirrel. So I, I have a Doreen costume and she's so much fun. I've realized that the characters I choose to cosplay are all like kind of wide-eyed, like really happy. Char- well, not necessarily really happy, but they're really wide-eyed. Like Doreen is always like, she's got a really fun face. She's got these big eyes in the art they do now. She hangs out with woodland creatures. I'm really into that. Moths. <laughs> like I also cosplay as Kimmy Schmidt and Harley Quinn. And like my eyes, by the end of those, I'm like, I can't, I need to just go and blink for several hours. I'm yeah. just thinking of just like the combination of wide-eyed, optimistic intensity that come out of those three characters. Yes. Also, Luna Lovegood. That's who I cosplay as as well. And Snow White. Big eyes. All of them. But Dorina's really fun because, firstly, you get a built-in pillow for when you need to sit down at Comic-Con because I, I carry around with an enormous squirrel tail. I do the first costume from, like, New Squirrel Girl. It's more brown than grey. Mm-hmm. And it's got a woolly collar, so it's nice and warm. Yeah, it's like a little flight jacket. And I have the little Funko Pop of her with Tippy Toe, which my friend Serena, who was my kind of cosplay enabler, got me as a birthday present. My Funko Pops, I'm very selective over which ones I buy, mm-hmm. which little action figures. Like, I don't collect anything particular it's just which ones speak to me which is why i have sadness from inside out she sits on my bedside table <laughs> that and may in fact be the same reason that i have lilo from lilo and stitch with her camera oh yeah and lilo's on lilo's on the other side of my bed but mm-hmm. not because i'm a photographer because it's one of my favorite films i have seen stitches about but the only stitch i would buy which i have not seen on a shelf i've seen in catalogs and stuff is the dressed up as elvis yeah. uh, hawaiian stitch yes he has a tiki mug and I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's kind of like that. But yes, I have my Squirrel Girl, and I actually haven't read a whole bunch of the comics, but I just feel very, very fond of the character. She's she talks to squirrels, and she's really she she beat up the whole Marvel universe, and she yeah. just wins against everyone. Not just through punching, but for the most part, she wins through the power of friendship. <laughs> yeah, she's just like earnest and cute and adorable and woodland based. <laughs> and listeners, if you haven't read any of Ryan North's Squirrel Girl book, A, you should. It's awesome. Yes. And B, 
Squirrel Girl had been a joke character mm -hmm. for a very long time. Was originally created as like, you know, part of a montage of unsuccessful applicants. Had then like followed Iron Man around for an issue and been like, I'm your sidekick. We're going to be friends. And then later became this sort of punchline where they would write her into a scene with some giant, incredibly powerful bad guy and have her beat that bad guy, either through a combination of luck or skill or just timing. And so, for example, Thanos, Doctor Doom, Galactus, all of these various characters were defeated by Squirrel Girl to the point where they would try and retcon it by saying, oh no, that was a robot duplicate. Other, the real Doctor Doom would never be beaten, which led to this weird kind of recursive irony thing where <laughs> Squirrel Girl will beat Doctor Doom and say, yep, that's definitely the real one. Not a clone, not a robot, not a hologram. <laughs> yep, it's the real one. And see, look, here's the Watcher who's going to say that, yes, it's the real one, and this is legitimate. And so from that, Ryan North in his absolute Ryan Northiest moment, took that character and took that earnestness, cranked it up to 11 and made this incredible synthesis of this character who makes friends with everyone and has trading cards for villains and also is kind of the best friend everyone wants to have. Like the person who will cajole you into doing amazing things that you might initially say you don't want to do, but you kind of really want to do. Also, her roommate, her main thing is knitting. So I couldn't not love this comic. Oh, and having a cat named Mew. And yes. writing fan fiction where Mew is Thor, Cat Thor. And has Mjolnir. <laughs> yeah. Oh, lovely squirrel girl. I mean, she's called, uh, even with, you know, people who don't know that character, and I say, what are you dressing up as? Oh, squirrel girl. They kind of guess what I'm going to turn up looking like. And I got my dad to read some of it and be like, so, uh, just go with the power of squirrels. Kind of sells itself. <laughs> And but Moth saying my squirrel, Lucas, it was really traumatic. No, it was. It's like any time you pick up something that you expect to be intact oh. and it falls to pieces, let alone when that thing is a simulacrum of a living thing. It's just so bad. Yeah, it's so bad. She hadn't done anything. She's a squirrel. What you said about Squirrel Girl costume being self-explanatory is something I spoke with Aubrey of the Double Clicks before about wearing a banana costume to conventions in that no one has to ask you what you are. You're a banana. Yeah. And no one needs to know, why are you doing this? The answer is, I'm a banana. <laughs> so yeah, it just it's asked and answered. So Rosie, if people wanted to find your stuff on the internet, where would they go? If you want to find me personally, I'm on Twitter at Rosie at Large. And my podcast that I do with my sister Jessica is Rosie and Jessica's Day of Fun. We're at rosieandjessica.co.uk. We are at the day of fun show on Twitter. Needless to say, the handle we wanted was taken. And now we're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Rosie and Jessica. And we're on iTunes. That's where you should actually listen to the show. But if you want to like read our intermittent postings, go to those. And Radio 4? Oh, yes. That is on Long Wave. You know, that, that thing you do? That other thing that you do? <laughs> you can find all of that linked on my Twitter. Or if you search for the film program on Radio 4 or any of their Rosemary versus the rom-com stuff. Because there's already a film reviewer called Rosie Fletcher. So I have to use my full name, which is why I'm Rosemary Fletcher. <laughs> See, I think you just choose a brand new one and get something like amazing and epic. Yes. I do love that you call me Rosencrantz. I think that is amazing. <laughs> it just sort of happened. Yeah. But I'm glad you've accepted it. Because whenever oh, no. I give someone a nickname, there's always that moment where I'm like, is this going to be okay? I've just said a thing. No, it's really good. I don't really have many nicknames, so I love it, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks very much, Rosencrantz. I, I'm glad you came back. Me too. And this has been an excellent conversation. Yes, it has been great. I think I really stuck to the brief of freeform. <laughs> Hello, heart, hello, heart, hello, heart, 16.
thank you very much to Rosie Fletcher for her time. Now, in her original cocktail brief, Rosie had explained she liked either neat whiskey or incredibly pink roofy cocktails. At the time, I provided a cranberry tiki cocktail, but when it comes to pink, I think I can do one better. This is my take on the classic aviation cocktail, which celebrates its 101st birthday this year. And I've called it the unbeatable aviation. In a shaker full of ice, combine two ounces of gin, a quarter ounce of Luxardo Maraschino liqueur, half an ounce of elderflower liqueur, and half an ounce of lemon juice. Shake vigorously and strained into a pre-chilled cocktail glass. Garnish with a cherry and a twist of lemon. If you'd like the classic aviation variation, reduce the gin by half an ounce and replace your elderflower liqueur with three quarters of an ounce of creme de violette or creme yvette, both of which, just for fun, will make the drink purple. Is it strong? Listen, bud, it's got a large amount of alcohol. Surprise, you might end up talking to squirrels. Enjoy. is recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. New episodes are released every Wednesday, and if you'd like to be a guest on the show, simply send an email to themathofyou at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about. You can follow the show on Twitter at themathofyou, and you can follow my wacky adventures at Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, on Twitter and Instagram, and Lokified82 on Snapchat. If you have a few dollars kicking around and would like to directly support the show, you can head on over to patreon.com slash and pledge as little as a dollar a month. You can also pledge as much as you want. They don't tell you that. They really should write that down somewhere on their website. You can get cursive tweets, physical mail, and I would really, really just appreciate it. Like a whole bunch. If you'd like to support the show non-monetarily, you can head on over to iTunes in the country of your choice and leave us a five-star rating. It helps people find the show and discoverability and all that good stuff. And if you write a review, I'll even read it out on the show. Won't that be nice? If you'd like the music I play on the show, there's a Spotify playlist for that. You can go to bit.ly slash themathofyou with capitals at the beginning of each word and find a Spotify playlist with every song I've ever used going all the way back to episode one. That's 50 episodes and three bonus episodes worth of music, including this one. It's California by Grimes. The new music goes up on the playlist the same day the episode goes live, so make sure you subscribe to get that new music in your ears. Next week, it's the return of fan favorite and last person on the planet to get a Twitter account, Colin Mulcairn. There will be no survivors. Join me, won't you? It is very impressive that you are awake at this time. Oh, don't worry. Uh, I got home at 1am and the baby was still awake. And so I got to do the thing where, you know, I would rock the baby to sleep, put the baby down. 
I would get enough time to get like back into bed and just start to fall asleep when I would hear the baby wake up and I have to get up and rock them again. <laughs> yeah, I guess babies are notorious for early starts. It was one of those things where, honestly, I swear he had a timer and he's like, okay, he spent eight minutes rocking me to sleep. I'm going to give him 12 minutes of realization. <laughs> and it's like, you always get like half of the rocking time back as sleep time. Mm-hmm. A Fibonacci sequence of exhaustion. <laughs> so yeah, and then, and then it was like this morning and, and Kimika woke up and like got him a bottle. And in the time that she was away, he screamed more than I have ever heard him scream in the month he's been alive. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh my God. And the thing is, he's now at the point where he's like strong. Like he'll kick off mm-hmm. with his legs off of you with no regard to his personal safety. <laughs> Oh no! Like I'll be holding him in a tender way and he'll get his legs like under my sternum and try and launch himself like a bullet back <laughs> off me like an Olympic swimmer. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Babies are great. Although he did yeah. he did raise his head yesterday and hold it up and look at us in a movement that I can only describe as you ever see box tortoises? Actually no scratch it, the big ones, the big Galapagos tortoises. Oh, yeah. That have those sort of long stringy necks. And they're kind of staring at you while they chew on their food. Exactly <laughs> like that. My infant son gave me exactly that look. Congratulations. Thank you. He's a real good baby. <laughs> He's good value. He really is. You provide the exact sweet point of the amount of photos. Because he's a real cute baby to look at, but also I'm not like, these people think their kid is the best kid. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he is the best kid ever. I was going to say, yeah, it does help that my baby is in fact the best baby. But... I take your point. The wrestling show is I was there with my friend Alex, who's known me for years, and he's like, I survived your Instagram when you were newly divorced and got a kitten. I can survive it when you when you had a child. 